listening to the official podcast of the Mission Redlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. morning, guys. It's good to be back with you. Um, three weeks ago when I spoke, I, I tried to look hipsterish, and I just couldn't do it again. I apologize to the church leadership. I know that's really a, a negative for me, but uh, giving away the true roots that I grew up in the Northeast. Um, this sermon today I'm entitling Easter Hangover. A little image here for you. If uh, Jason's not in the way of it, maybe we could read it. I'm sorry. <laughs> So that's it, 26 chocolate Easter bunnies and 48 chocolate eggs, I call it an Easter hangover, right? So here we are, we're one week out from Easter, and probably somewhere in your backyard, particularly Carlos's, there's actually a few Easter eggs that didn't get found, right? And if you use real eggs in about three or four weeks, you'll realize where they are, (laughs) And, uh, and, and if, you, if you had um, Sean Kelleher's help in hiding them, there definitely are some that no kid could find. And, and inside your house, there's like a little stash of candy that you're sort of sick of at this point. Those little chocolate eggs are really not very good anyway, right? They're not very good chocolate. And then there's always some candy that your kids got that nobody will eat. So, you know, there's that le- leftover piece of candy there. And then even when you look around at church today, last week this place was packed, and here we are one week out from Easter, and you know, where is everybody, right? There's this, this hangover from Easter. When I was a kid, the uh, ultimate part of that was that um, every Easter Sunday, uh, our dinner would be uh, ham. That was definitely our tradition in our family. And the rest of that week of Easter, we had ham about every way you can imagine having ham, ham sandwiches, ham casserole. Believe it or not, there is such a thing. It's disgusting. And then it finished with the ultimate food that I could not stand, and that was pea soup. So my mom would take that ham bone and build it into a pea soup that was just awful. And it actually reached the point where I I hated the thought of of Easter ham because I knew that the pea soup was coming. So that's really your ultimate Easter hangover. But I want to look at this. The, the subtitle for this is Why Easter Matters for the Rest of the Year. So when you think about Easter, it's, it's not just a fa- time for a family get-togethers. It's not just an excuse to eat honey-glazed ham. It's not uh, all about chocolate bunnies and hidden eggs. Uh, Easter's not a one-day event. Easter is not about uh, the uh, sort of this uh, coda or after, uh, this little extra piece that we add on to the Christ crucifixion. When you think about it, Easter is actually central to our gospel message. And that's what I want to see and what I want to show you today as we look at this. We're going to be looking at five reasons that Easter really matters for the rest of the year. We're going to be looking at a passage in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15 in verses 17 to 22. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 17 to 22. It says there, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruit of those who have fallen asleep. 
For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Let's stop there and pray. God, we thank you that uh, Easter's over, but we can continue to celebrate. And today, Lord, we're going to look at reasons why we can celebrate the fact that you raised Christ from the dead. Lord, as we get into this passage today, I would ask that my words would be your words, Lord, that your word would come alive uh, for the uh, congregation here today. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So five reasons why Easter matters every day, right? The first reason is that to fully defeat sin, Christ needed to be resurrected. And we can see that in this passage. It talks about the need, the necessity of resurrection. So let's go back and just understand why that would be important. Uh, Romans 6.23 says to us that the wages of sin is death. So what that means is that what we deserve, the payment that we deserve for the sins that we do when we disobey God, the payment for that, the wages that we receive is death. And if we go back even further and think about the uh, account of what happens in the uh, creation account, we can sort of understand the basis for this a little bit more. So God creates man, creates Adam and Eve, and he makes them in his image. And he does that for a reason. By putting them in his image, he said, I want to make something special, something different from the rest of creation that I can have a special relationship with. In fact, when we read this story in Genesis, we realize that Adam and Eve had a kind of relationship with God that we can only imagine. It's not something that's possible in our world today, in our fallen world today, because it says that God actually came down and walked with them and talked with them and experienced life with them in a way that's it's not quite as, as the same today. And what happened, though, is he gave them one rule, and he said to them, you can do a lot of things, but don't do this. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what did Adam and Eve do? They choose to disobey God, and they eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The, tree, the thing that they were not supposed to do, they did. And there was an immediate result of that. God, they knew they couldn't be in the presence of God because God can't have sin in his presence. God can't be with sin. And so Adam and Eve are sent away. They're punished. They're uh, forever separated from God. They're forced to leave the garden and, uh, because of the sin that's come in place. And that's, uh, that sin leads to physical death. So God made Adam and Eve to live forever. That was his plan for them. But in their sin, that introduces death to the world. And so uh, that death is both, a, physical, is both a, a real death, physical death, and then a separation from God. So that was the punishment for sin, and that's sort of the context for helping us understand the death, Christ's death on the cross and the importance of his resurrection. So we move forward uh, thousands of years, and we have Christ going to the cross. So God says, I want to restore the relationship that I have with man. I'm going to send my son, Jesus Christ, to earth. Christ lives a sinless life. Uh, he uh, does all the things that we do, lives a sinless life. And at the end of his life, he's actually crucified on the cross. And while he's hanging on that cross, God takes the punishment that everyone deserves for all their sins. He takes all those sins of the world, and he lays them on Jesus Christ. So in Christ's death on the cross, he died for all of our sins. And um, we know that in a couple of ways. One is he says while he's on the cross, 
God, why have you forsaken me? Remember, sin requires separation from God. And so that moment when all of the world's sins are placed on Christ, there's an actual, for Christ, there's a separation from God as well. He recognizes it while he's on the cross. And then later, he gives up his spirit. He dies. So a dead body, Christ's dead body, was placed in a grave. And that's not the end of the story, though, right? We talked about this last Sunday in Easter Sunday. That's not the end of the story. God raises Christ from the dead. And that's critically important in order to show that sin was fully defeated. So when Christ died on the cross, sin was paid for. That's the payment that was required for sins, the, what was necessary to atone us for our sins. And, that is, and there's proof of that is that it's more than sufficient by the fact that he lives Think about it this way. If sin leads to death, right? If the, if the payment for sin is death, then the proof that, uh, there, that the sin has been paid for, that the proof that sin has been defeated has got to be life. And that's what we see in the resurrection. So to fully defeat sin, God uh, had to resurrect Christ. Christ needed to be resurrected. That's the first thing, the first reason why Easter really matters for the rest of the year. The second reason that Easter matters for the rest of the year is because it is proof of the innocence of Christ, of his life. It's vindication for his life. If Christ had come to earth and not lived a sinless life, if he had actually sinned like we sin, uh, if that would have meant that when he died, his death would have been only for himself. He would have deserved the punishment that he was receiving He wouldn't have been able to cover anyone else's sins because his death would have only been for his own sin. And that makes sense, right? In Romans 6.23, it says the wages of sin and death. What we deserve is death because of our sins. If Christ had sinned, he would have deserved the same thing. But no, because he hadn't sinned, he didn't deserve to die. In being resurrected, it proved that Christ was innocent himself. He had fully paid for everyone else's sins. In that moment of death, God had heaped on him all of man's sins. But because Jesus was the perfect sacrifice, the sacrifice that meets all of God's expectations, his death paid the price for those sins. And in doing so, uh, the proof of that is that he was raised from the dead, and it proved that Christ's life was truly innocent. It's a vindication for his life. So that's the second reason that Easter really matters for the rest of the year. The third reason that Easter matters for the rest of the year is that it demonstrates to us that Christ has conquered death in the grave. And we can see this again in this passage of 1 Corinthians 15. It says, starting in verse 20, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man also comes the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Then again in verses 56 and 57, we see this. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? So we, in Adam, all of us are like Adam, we're human beings, and in Adam, all of us are going to die. It's a fact of life, it's going to be what happens. But it says, in Christ... All shall be made alive. So the fact that Jesus lives is proof that the grave can be defeated, that death can be defeated. All people die 
but our hope is in Christ because through his resurrection, we have the promise of our own, that promise of eternal life. So when we as individuals accept that work of Christ on the cross, he's promised to restore that relationship with him so that promise of future separation from God is no longer part of our existence. Because we live in a fallen world, we still will all go through death like everyone else does, but there's a promise for something beyond the grave, uh, and that promise is the opportunity for that relationship that God designed for man to be in to be restored with him. We see this again in Romans chapter 8, verse 11. I think it's going to come up on this uh, screen as well. I'll just read it from there. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So it's a promise that comes from God saying if we've accepted the work of Christ, God's Holy Spirit comes and resides in us and has an impact now. It gives us life in this life. It gives us an opportunity for a different kind of life here on earth, but then the promise of eternal life with him beyond the grave, where that relationship with God um, is restored. So that's the third thing that we see from the reason why Easter is important for the rest of the year, and this is the fact that in that resurrection of Christ, we have proof that the grave can be conquered, that death can be conquered. Then the fourth reason why uh, that. Easter is important for the rest of the year. It makes possible the role that Christ plays now as our high priest. And the passage that really describes that for us is Hebrews chapter 7. And while I can commend the whole passage to you, I'm going to particularly look at just read to you verses 23 to 28. Where it says, The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently. He being Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues or lives forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. So to understand this passage and to understand this concept of Christ as our high priest, um, There's a few things I want to share, just three things to sort of give you a little bit of background from it. First is to understand sort of who was this priest under the law? Who was this priest in this Old Testament sense? And so when God set up the law, he decided that uh, those that were descendants of Levi would become his priests. Those people that would serve him in the temple and would serve the people by being their people's representative to God. And one of those individuals was called the high priest. And he in particular would have had a unique opportunity because he got to go into the very presence of God and the holy, holy, holy of holies within the temple, within the tabernacle, and represent the people uh, before God. So that's the role of the high priest. And these, high, these priests received their role because they were descendants of Levi. So just by dint of their relationship of who they were descendants of, they assumed this role as a priest. Second thing to understand in this passage, if you looked at this whole passage of Hebrews chapter 7, it talks about this dude named Melchizedek. 
And uh, if you don't love your children, that could be the first name you might choose for your next child. Um, but Melchizedek uh, was a unique person. It's, it's only mentioned a couple of verses in the Bible during the time of Abraham. And it describes Melchizedek. It says he's a, a king of Salem and a priest of the God Most High. Or a priest of the, of, of the Most High God. And um, what's interesting about it is this passage in Hebrews goes on to say that Christ is a priest in the order of Melchizedek. What does that mean? How do we make sense of that? And I think part of the way to understand this is the fact that all of the other priests that came later. So Melchizedek existed prior to the Levitical priesthood. But the priests that came that were part of the Levitical priesthood, that were descendants of Levi, were all those that received their position simply by dint of who their heritage was, who, their inherit, uh, who they had um, been, who they're related to. So that because they were related, because they were descendants of Levi, they were able to become priests. Well, Melchizedek was different from that. He was a, a priest appointed specifically by God to fulfill the role that he had. And that's the kind of priest that Christ is. Christ is, was appointed particularly by God to fulfill the role that he had. So it's the second thing that's needed to understand this passage. The third thing that's, under, that's needed to understand this passage is what the law was designed for. What was this uh, idea of the system of sacrifices that the priests partook of in the Old Testament? So God had established the law, and one of the primary reasons for the establishment of the law was for us as human beings to recognize how we fall short of what God's standards were. We could do all the things that the law uh, required us to do. We could try to do all those things, but really it was impossible to do. And so there was this whole system of sacrifices that were required by people, uh, blood sacrifices on the whole, that were required of these people in order for them to make right their relationship with God. And that was the role of the priest, was to engage and take part in what those sacrifices were. So just sort of understanding that background, let's take a look again at this passage in Hebrews chapter 7, because it will help that, uh, what I've just shared will help it make sense for you. So starting again in verse 23, the former priests, those that are part of the Levitical priesthood that were descendants of Levi, were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. So they were human beings just like us. They died. That's uh, what it's saying there. It says, but he holds his priesthood permanently, talking about Jesus. So Jesus is uh, a high priest, and he holds that position forever because he lives forever. Something happened in him in the time of the resurrection, right? He was raised again, and because he lives, he can now be this priest forever. Consequently, because he able, is able to live forever, he is able to save to the uttermost. The uttermost just means always, at all places. There's no place to get away from God's ability to save. So part of the reason for saying this is that if you think about Christ dying on the cross, you could look at it and say, he died at that moment when he died on the cross, all the sins of the world were placed on him, and only look at the sins that have already taken place, right? Or all the sins that were represented by the sinners that were alive at the time that Christ died on the cross. But no, God's able to save to the uttermost means he's able to save all the sins that have taken place before all the sins that were taking place when he was here on earth and all the sins and all the sinners that will be going forward in the future. That's us. So the fact that he's able to save to the uttermost is great news for us. It says those who draw near to God, those who seek him, want to be in a relationship with him through Christ since he has always lives to make intercession for him. This whole idea of intercession is exactly what the priests did in that Old Testament period. And we can see it again in the next few verses where it talks about the fact that the high priest would offer sacrifices on behalf of the people. 
So that priest, though, because he was a human being, had to actually offer sacrifices for himself first to cover his sins, and then he could offer sacrifices to cover our sins, all the people that were there, their sins. But that's not what has to happen with Christ, because Christ's sacrifice was the ultimate sacrifice. He was the perfect sacrifice, and because he was perfect, that sacrifice only needed to be made once and forever, saves to the uttermost. And uh, so it's indeed good news. And so Christ is there at the right hand of the Father so that when we approach God and we say, God, I am a sinner, uh, I am unworthy of being in relationship with you, uh, I am doomed to, uh, to live separate from you from eternity, which is an awful existence, uh, I recognize my sins, and Lord, I come to you begging for forgiveness. The intercessor, Jesus Christ, the high priest, the one who represents us before God, says, God, look, here's Brian, and he's coming before me, and he's asked uh, for these, the sin that he's done, for the fact he wants to be restored to relationship. That's my role. I've covered this sin, and now he can be restored to relationship with you. And that's what the role of the intercessor is, that God as our high priest and um, so this is, that's the fourth reason why Easter is important, why Easter can be celebrated all of the year, because it makes possible Christ's role, his current role, as our high priest. And then the fifth reason is related to this. It's very similar, um, and that makes possible Christ's current role as our advocate. And this is found for us in 1 John chapter 2. Just a couple of verses there, the first couple that I want to read. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So this passage is just a little bit different than the earlier passage, and that this passage is written to those and about those who've already made a decision to follow Christ, who've already used Christ's role as the intercessor, the one that comes between, makes possible our relationship with God, and explains a reality with them. And we know this is true because it says in verse 1 there, I'm writing these things so that you may not sin. Um, That's not possible for those that are not followers of Christ. Everyone who's not a believer, who's not a follower of Christ, Sins. It's impossible for them not to sin. And sometimes I think when we as Christians get shocked at what the world does, I think it's being very short-sighted. The reality is, if you're not a follower of God, you are going to sin. And the unfortunate reality is that even after we do become followers of God, we still will fall into sin. It's just not a part of our character, part of our our nature of who we are. His Holy Spirit is within us and convicts us of it. And the goal of what we are as believers is that we're becoming more and more like Christ as the Holy Spirit works within us. As we become more and more like Christ, sin should become less and less part of what our life is about. And maybe the way to understand what's happening in this passage that makes important what he's doing um, as our advocate is to understand it this way. So when we, uh, when we accept Christ as Savior, when we recognize that his work on the cross makes it possible for our relationship with God to be restored, we move into relationship with God. Now, as a Christian, when I sin, it breaks that fellowship that exists with God. Because God can't have sin in his presence. That, it, there's a break in that fellowship, break in that relationship with God. And maybe a way to understand this is to think about the marriage relationship. Jody and I are married. Uh, when, 
we're in that relationship together, when I do something stupid, and that does happen, uh, it breaks that relationship, right? There's, a, there's something that stands in that gap that makes it difficult for us in terms of our relationship. The relationship is different because of the role of something that I've done to break that fellowship. It's the same kind of thing that happens in our relationship with God. When we sin, there's a break in that relationship. For Jody and I, when I do something stupid, it doesn't mean we're not married. It just means there's something that's creating friction in that relationship. Very similar to us when we're followers of God. It doesn't mean we're not a Christian when we sin. It just means there's a break in that relationship with God. And thankfully, God has set Christ up in this role of our advocate, and that can make all the difference in it. Let me explain. Just before this passage in 1 John chapter 2, we have chapter 1 and verse 9. It says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It, and that, that's the message right there of hope. That's where Christ begins to, Christ does work as our advocate. So what happens when it says, if we confess our sins, confess just means to recognize our sins in the same way that God recognizes them. So when we confess our sins, we're saying, God, when I got angry at a coworker, that was sin. When I looked in the wrong kind of way at somebody that wasn't my spouse, that was sin. Uh, when I took something that I shouldn't have taken, uh, that was sin. So all we're doing in confession is recognizing what we've done wrong, recognizing it in the same way that God does. And when that happens, Christ serves as our advocate, describes him in this passage of being at the right hand of God. And you can just picture, here's God in his throne, and that sin has broken my relationship with uh, God, where there's an, a breakdown in it, and Christ is there, and I've confessed my sin, I've recognized my sin for what it is, and, God, and Christ taps God on the shoulder and says, God, Brian has just recognized that what he has done is wrong, and I, I want to let you know he's seeking forgiveness, and I've got his sin covered. When I died 2,000 plus years ago, I covered this new sin that Brian has committed, and in that moment, God can look at it and say, now that sin is paid for. I, no longer is that sin going to get in the way of my relationship with Brian. And my relationship with God is restored in that moment because of what Christ has done. So Christ serves as our advocate in that situation. So those are five reasons, guys, that Easter can be celebrated all year round, right? It's the, it's the means, the mechanism by showing that uh, sin has been fully defeated. It vindicates Christ's life. It demonstrates to us that Christ lived an innocent life. A uh, third thing that it does is it, it uh, shows us that the grave and death can be conquered. Um, and it sets up Christ in his current role as God's high priest. And finally, it sets Christ up in his role as being our advocate, the one who stands between us and God. So isn't that great news that we can celebrate Easter all year round? I was thinking about this uh, that just thinking about how I started this sermon today and thinking about just a reminder for it, right? Easter is not just a opportunity for a family gathering. Easter's not an excuse to eat honey glazed ham. Easter's not all about chocolate eggs and or chocolate rabbits and hidden eggs. Um, Easter's not uh, simply a one day holiday. And Easter's not just a footnote on Christ's crucifixion. Easter is central to the good news, to the gospel message, and I hope that we've been able to see that today. I'm gonna to call the uh, worship team forward. We're just gonna close in prayer. 
as I think about closing in prayer, I just would challenge you um, as you think about this. If you're here today and you haven't taken advantage of God, of Christ in his role as our high priest, of the one who stands ready to make intercession for you before the Father, who stands ready to say, my, my death, my sacrifice has covered your sins. If you haven't done that, if you haven't uh, taken that opportunity or taken advantage of the chance to be forgiven for the sins that you have, then I challenge you, use today, make today the day that you accept Christ in his role as your high priest, the one who lives to make intercession for you. Then if you're here today and there's been something that's broken that relationship, you've sinned and there's a break in that fellowship in, uh, that you have with God, then today I would just challenge you to accept Christ in his role as your advocate, to recognize the fact that he stands there ready to, for you once you've uh, confessed your sin to be restored in relationship with God in his role as advocate. Let's pray. God, we thank you that Easter is not just a one-day event, but the story of your resurrection, the fact of your resurrection, is central to the gospel message. Lord, I just would ask that if there are individuals here today, Lord, that have not, um, or have not taken advantage of your role as our high priest, the one who intercedes on our behalf before God the Father, I'd ask that they would come today and, Lord, just seek your forgiveness, to seek the restoration of their relationship with you, Lord. Lord, if those of us that are here that are believers, if there's something that's fractured that, that connection that we have with you, if there's been a breakdown in relationship because of our sin, may we recognize that today, Lord, and seek forgiveness for it, to confess it to you, Lord. And God, as we close right now, I just would uh, I'd invite the ushers to come forward. And Lord, we ask that in this offering that we take now, that your work uh, of the mission, Lord, your work in the world would be furthered through the, what we do in this offering now. God, we just would ask that this message of hope would allow our church to be part of sharing your radical love with our community, Lord. Lord, we pray too for our missions team that will be going out from here this week, Lord, that they would be able to take that same message of Easter, that same message of hope, that same message of radical love and share it with those that they come in contact with in Spain. Lord, we ask this in your son's name. Amen. You are listening to the official podcast of The Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com.